grassroots faculty members uh, called Scholars for Peace in the Middle East. Some of you may have heard of this group, um, and some of you may even be uh, involved with us at some levels. Uh, it had been my hope in this, uh, in this presentation uh, to uh, have a lot of people in here, have a lot of faculty meeting, uh, a lot of faculty uh, colleagues, and say to you all, uh, those assembled, that I really believe as a journeyman professor, not in Jewish studies, not in Israel studies, not in Middle Eastern studies, uh, or any of, or anti-Semitism studies, or any of the studies many of you are involved in, but as a professor of psychology and coming from an interdisciplinary perspective, I'd like to say that we hold some promise, uh, the group that we're working with, uh, to address the issues that Ruth Weiss raised yesterday. And let me tell you a little bit about uh, how we intend to do, how we've done it, and how we intend to do it, and share with you some information that I think uh, is uh, very germane and very helpful uh, to the mission of addressing anti-Israelism and anti-Semitism on college campuses. The original title of this presentation was a panel discussion. It was, we, were, we called it Making History. Most of the presentations here have been discussing uh, what's going on, what has gone on in a historical and current affairs uh, context. Our response is in real time to the current events, to the pressing problems on college campuses, not just in the United States, but around the world. And issues, and academic issues affecting uh, the Palestinian-Israeli conflict and other issues of anti-Israelism and anti-Semitism on campus. I've told the history of SPME many times in front of many audiences, and perhaps some of you have heard this before, but I'll, 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 I'll be very clear about what, we, what some of us think it will take to meet the challenge Ruth has uh, thrown out uh, for this group and many other groups. It's important to engage faculty members. Faculty members are stakeholders, in the academic community, they are the residents, they have a lot of power that they frequently either don't care to use, abrogate, or uh, simply uh, uh, get frightened of using. They're, um, they, they, they can set standards in curriculum, they can define what is uh, taught, they can pass, uh, they, can, they can do a lot of things that affect uh, what goes on in professional association and a lot of things that uh, go on in the classroom and in campus policies. Very few faculty members are literate in their own campus policies on things like uh, academic freedom and free speech and standards and comportment and conduct, you know, unless it affects them in terms of their own promotion and tenure issues. Our job is to and, and you'll be hearing about this in later presentations, is to work with faculty members to empower them 
to use the tools and the laws and the knowledge that is out there already existing. In a previous panel, uh, it was mentioned that law it can only partially deal with uh, some of the issues of anti-Israelism and, and anti-Semitism. But another part of our constituency is policy on campus. There are policies on campus which are not enforced and that most faculties either think they know uh, but don't really know or know and might not have the uh, perseverance to, uh, to initiate and enact. But there are plenty of uh, guidelines to uh, govern the level of discourse, the level of academic excellence, integrity, and academic freedom. Uh, we've heard a lot of concern about what's happening on campus. It's our contention, certainly been my contention for the longest period of time, that if faculty take the initiative to do something about it, we can, we can reverse what's going on on campus. Um, goes back to the old Rodgers and Hammerstein, uh, South Pacific lyric, you've got to be carefully taught. And education is the key here, and what you're taught, and what you are willing to stand behind uh, will make a difference. Before I go, so that, that's the context of this panel. Before I go any further, what I would like to do is introduce the other panelists and um, give you uh, a brief introduction as to what they're uh, going to be talking about, and then I'll uh, go on with my remarks. Uh, we hope to speak about 20 minutes apiece, 20, 25 minutes apiece, and unlike some of the other sessions, we hope to have an interactive dialogue with you so that we can share with you uh, some of the specifics. It, it's always been my uh, it's always been my contention that people come with expectations, and if you don't meet those expectations, they leave disappointed. So you may have some questions. And as we're presenting the material, I would hope that you would crystallize your thoughts and, and, uh, and your questions, and uh, perhaps we can have a little time at the end for some groupthink, some strategizing, uh, and uh, maybe leaving with some, some, some common purpose. And that's part of the engagement, the educating, and the empowerment. We don't have all the answers. You have many questions. You have many answers. Back and forth, that's how this grows. And let me tell you very quickly that this process has engaged over 60,000 faculty members through one activity of our association or another. We have Scholars for Peace in the Middle East. We have over 60,000 network participants Worldwide, So there is a thirst and a hunger for this kind of networking, this kind of engagement, this kind of education, and this kind of empowerment. And it all starts with each one of us. Let me introduce uh, Professor Sam Edelman. Sam Edelman uh, has, uh, is the Executive Director of uh, Scholars for Peace in the Middle East. And as we have grown, we have uh, felt the need for an administrative, uh, visionary uh, executive director whose experience uh, at, at a number of universities currently affiliated with Cal State University at Chico, uh, where he is the co-chair of the Center for Genocide Studies uh, there. Um, he, 
he has been uh, with us for uh, the past what, 18 months now, and um, has been uh, taking us very much uh, to the next level of uh, interactions, not just with faculty, but with the students and the community. And he's going to be looking uh, retrospectively uh, at uh, the work that we have done and the work that we have yet to do and the work that we, in fact, will be doing uh, as this mission evolves, as we build the network, as we build the response, as we build it multidisciplinarily and uh, at a campus near you, if not your own campus. And then, uh, and please forgive me if I pronounce the name, we have uh, Dr. Linda uh, Blanchet, did I get that right? Of the uh, Simon Wiesenthal Center, the Simon Wiesenthal Center, um, who is going to um, be uh, talking a lot about the work of the, uh, of the, uh, the, the center with the University of California system, which is very much on, on the top uh, agenda of, um, of the agenda of like what's wrong with this campus or what's wrong with this campus system or what do we need to fix and how do we use those policies and how do we address those issues. And she and a number of our uh, leaders uh, within SPME are uh, working uh, within the system, working with uh, the existing policies and the laws and a number of community organizations. So we're going to be finishing up with a case study, uh, in many ways a case study of, of how the forces can combine, how faculty, community organizations uh, can work together uh, to, to, to uh, redirect and, and uh, challenge the narrative and the events that are going on all within the context of academic integrity, honest debate, uh, and academic freedom. <coughs> so, let me tell you a little bit about how we got started. It started with a conversation with my son. I think uh, somebody else yesterday referred, uh, you referred to a conversation with your daughter. Um, and, and one of the things that uh, uh, we are very frequently inspired by is our uh, is our is our children. Uh, they set challenges for us. Uh, my son was relatively uninvolved politically. Um, he's a scientist. Uh, he's a computer uh, a, a computer guy and a scientist. And he he really was not terribly interested in a lot of political things. He said, "Dad, you know, you're always involved in political things, and, and, and I, you know, it's a little too much for me." until he went to Israel to go to medical school at Sackler, at TAU Sackler. And then he realized that there were issues in the world, issues in the world that he was being asked to address, that he was being asked to react to, that he was, uh, that he was having to deal with. Um, not so much as my son, but as, as a human being growing up in, in a university. Um, and he had been to Cornell, and he had had some, uh, some issues there. And he said to me, Dad, I've come to a realization that change with individuals, and of course I'm, 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 I'm a counselor, I'm a therapist. I teach counseling and therapy techniques. So my son says to me, he says, Dad, I've come to the realize that people only change through one-on-one -on -one contact. 
people only change through one-on-one -on -one kind. I make a living teaching that and how to do that with people. But it was so crystal clear that my own son had said to me, if you want to deal with your faculty colleagues in terms of elevating the narrative and change the narrative, you have to deal with them one-on-one. -on -one. So it's no accident that hopefully by the end of this session, we'll be all fast friends. Okay? That we will have, that we will have some level of intimacy that you might not have with another speaker. I want to know you, and I hope you want to know what we're doing so that we can engage in that dialogue and work together and find common ground and build that big tent response. Whether you're from the left, you're from the right, or from the center, to address the issues of anti-Israelism and anti-Semitism. I really don't care what your political orientation is. I don't, I, I, I really don't. What I do care about is, is that you're interested in truth, you're interested in accuracy, and you're interested in honest debate and honest discussion. Because that's what academia is really all about. And even, even on our very distinguished and hardworking board, we struggle with those issues. We struggle with those issues, but we try to find consensus and common ground. And when we take a position on different issues, and when we act in certain directions, we feel confident that it represents a broad spectrum of opinions. And I think if somebody were to do a case study on what it is we do, they would find that after the yelling and the hollering and the screaming behind closed doors about diametrically opposed positions, we come out with something worthy of taking a look at, worthy of study, and possibly even worthy of implementation. And we do this from a broad-based interdisciplinary approach. We leave Israel studies, we leave Middle Eastern studies, we leave Jewish studies and all the attendant related disciplines pretty much to those experts. But we cover general humanities, social sciences, business, uh, and, and, and many, many other curriculums um, as we address issues. For instance, is anybody here a physician? Is anybody here a member? Okay. We have a very active, a very active medical and public health task force which routinely monitors the international journals, medical journals, on scholarship related to uh, issues uh, in Israel. We most recently, and will have a rebuttal to an article uh, that was published in Lancet, which blamed the occupation, the, the occupation for the increased rise of domestic violence of Palestinian men against Palestinian women. That the conditions, and, and it was uh, uh, not even done by social scientists, uh, and it was published in Lancet of all places. And we have prepared a rebuttal. It is our philosophy 
to take on the issues. I'll give you another example. When the Walt Mearsheimer study uh, was, was published, there was an immediate flurry of academic reaction. And, but a lot of it was very, was very superficial in terms of academic rigor. Uh, now, we, we have to be careful here because a lot of them had a lot of footnotes. And sometimes, you know, number, we, we all know that sometimes number of references is <clears throat> the key to academic rigor. But they, they were immediate first responses. Many of the more serious scholars in the international relations field felt that if they addressed the issue, they would be dignifying the Walt Mearsheimer uh, thesis. And what, what, what has happened is there has not really been a sustained long-term academic response to the uh, to the to, to those um, uh, propositions, and we all know that uh, they are in play uh, in the current administration. Uh, they've been adopted uh, 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 by the current administration in many ways, and uh, need need to be challenged. Uh, the challenge of the Israel lobby, and so. Uh, we have tried over the last uh, couple of years to put together a conference to deal with the special issue of uh, the, spe the issue of the special relationship between the United States and Israel, and um, and and uh, address the Walt Mearsheimer uh, issues. And Sam's going to be telling you a little bit about that effort, um, which we hope to put together uh, in uh, in Miami in January. But there really has been very little, uh, for, uh, little academic, sustained academic response in credible academic journals. Uh, it's been mostly in the popular journals. It's been mostly in kind of what everybody reads when they're not reading their academic journals. And while that's fine, these things need to be uh, critiqued. Uh, one of our first conferences was uh, developed around the issue of dealing with the influence of Edward Said. And we developed a, ver a very well-reviewed uh, book, uh, Professor Philip Carl Salzman from uh, uh, McGill University and Donna Robinson Devine from uh, Smith College, edited the collection of papers from that conference, um, basically deconstructing Orientalism, um, a peer-reviewed volume published by Rutledge, and it was very, very well received. What we need to be doing is not ignoring or minimizing the academic constructs, but doing our work, rolling up our sleeves, and addressing them where we see them. How much time do I have? Um, about 10 minutes. 10 minutes, okay. So the first... Uh, one of the first things I did as president, I was invited, and this, this gives you an idea of how much work we have to do as academics, uh, each in our own way, each in our own discipline. Lori Zoloth, who was uh, one of the co-founders uh, of, uh, of SPME, Lori Zoloth was a bio 
ethicist uh, and director of Judy Jewish studies at uh, San Francisco State University. Many of you may remember her uh, infamous email uh, that went out about the events of the uh, Palestinian confrontation with Israeli students at San Francisco State um, uh, in 2002. And um, we were in, just in our infancy there. Uh, a few of us had gotten together to put together a few thoughts. And I, and, and, and I wrote to her. And I said, Lori, how can I, how can we help you? I, you know, we, we don't have much here, but we're a group of concerned faculties, and faculty, and and your 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 email has uh, struck a chord, and she became one of the co-founders of SPME with us. Well, in any event, fast forward uh, a year or two later, she invited me to the combined meetings of the Jewish and Christian. Ethics Society, the academic society that, do we have any ethicists in, in the room? Okay, well, we need a few more ethicists. And at the time, SPME had taken a very strong position on the issue of civilians and children being used as suicide bombers in the early days of the Second Intifada. And we had said simply, this is, this is a war crime, this violates every notion of the Geneva Convention should be condemned by academics and certainly people who deal in teaching with ethics and morals at this and so I made a presentation before the group and I got the blank stares and people kind of scratching their heads and shrugging their shoulders and getting uncomfortable more and more uncomfortable in their seats and I said I'd like to ask your board, your combined board, to endorse this resolution which simply said that the use of children and civilians for suicide bombing is to be condemned as unethical and moral. Pretty simple concept here. And I was told that it was too complex an issue to deal with. Now this is by Jewish and Christian ethicists very well-meaning people. Well, I'm a psychologist, what do I know about ethics, right? And, I, and I'm saying, guys, they're just something, you don't strap bombs to children and put them in a crowd and have somebody set them off from afar. There's something very wrong with that. Can't you come out with a statement? Now, it wasn't like they don't take positions on these kinds of issues. Maybe I could understand that. It, the issue was too complex. And so sometimes, because we, as academics, we tend to analyze things in a complex way, we use that as a defense mechanism not to deal with it. I'm now, now that we have more and more people in the room, I'm going to make a public challenge to you. And I hope you would take this out as you meet and greet other people in this room. There is a thirst for the knowledge for, that many of you are generating in terms of your studies of anti-Semitism, anti-Israelism. Our, our group is not ready to shry a gavalt about how bad things are. Our group is ready to swing into action and use its academic resources and its academic base 
to provide accurate and important issue to besieged colleagues at universities who refuse to identify themselves but are dealing with problems of anti-Israelism and anti-Semitism on campus. And Sam's going to tell you about some initiatives that we will uh, be doing in terms of putting scholarly materials. We invite you to use our faculty forum to share your interdisciplinary ideas with 60,000 colleagues well beyond your discipline. We'd love for you to write originally for the faculty forum. We'd very much like you to write originally for the faculty forum. But if you think you have something that is instructive for your colleagues in, 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 who are not members of your association that you think everybody should read, please send it to us and we will share it with an increasing number of people every year. That's a challenge I issue to you as a form of action. Many of you are doing some incredibly important work that people don't get to see every day, but by virtue of their being participants in our network, that's a few more people that may be reading your articles, understanding the positions better, developing better responses so that they can take it to their professional associations, take it to their classes, take it to their campuses, yes, and even to their communities, those that choose to get involved in the communities. I issue that as a challenge to you. Our door is always open. We, as anybody who's ever been involved with us, it's open 24-7 around the world. We're responsive and we, 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 we welcome you. And just come see us, let me have your card before you leave. If you're not on our mailing list, how many of you are on our mailing list? All right, so about 30% of you are on our mailing list. If you have work you want, if you, you have work that you want other colleagues to see, whether you've published it in your own journal or you'd like to publish it in ours, let us know. We want to see it. Thank you very much. Uh, the next speaker will be Sam, who is really going to uh, put some meat on the bone here in terms of uh, some of the things I've alluded to and some of our uh, uh, some of the things that we'll be doing in the future. Thank you. We're going to have time for questions. We're going to have time for questions after. I think what, um, what we're going to try to do now is talk about this. Um, the last day and this morning, we've heard some very inspiring words, some frightening words. We've heard history. We've seen political science and sociological responses and theoretical responses. And what, I, what I'm here to do is to begin to move us to what can we do to get to the doing the responding of, uh, to the situation here uh, with regard to anti-Semitism uh, across the world and anti-Israeli expressions. You know, uh, as a Holocaust and genocide scholar, uh, one of my, one of the things that I teach my students is that the, the Shoah really began on college campuses in Germany. But it wasn't the blue-collar workers who were the supporters of the Nazis who got 
the Nazis, their breadth and depth of expression within German society. It was college professors and students. And that our failure to understand the breadth and depth of the impact that universities and colleges have on our society, and especially with regard to the development of anti-Semitism, is to our detriment. And that for the last few decades, the Jewish community in the United States, at least, has ignored this. We have been putting lots and lots of money into students of late, and Stand With Us, and Hillel, and Chasparah Fellowship, all of these uh, student and various student Israel student organizations, all of this money that we've been putting in with birthright and, and other things, has shown some modest success. But we've ignored the one group that really has the most impact on colleges and universities, and that is our colleagues and ourselves, faculty. The Jewish community in the United States, and in, I would say also in Canada, and uh, to a greater degree even in Europe, has completely missed the boat. Well, on the other side, the Arab world has understood completely that it is college professors who run things on college campuses, and so they put billions of dollars into programs across the world. Institutes, centers, Money for students, money for graduate students, money supporting college professors to teach about Middle East studies from their specific perspective have been pushed onto the world and they have paid off in huge amounts of response that is antagonistic to both Israel and to the Jewish community and has in some ways led to the um, theoretical underpinnings of the new anti-Semitism that we have today. So colleges are the front line of the battle of anti-Semitism, and we need to do something about this. Scholars for Peace in the Middle East was started in 2002. We are the successor organization of an older group called American Professors for Peace in the Middle East. Some of you may remember that. How many of you remember APNES, American Professors for Peace in the Middle East? A couple, okay. Well, it's a shame, because it was a very, very successful organization that uh, was effective in getting American and Canadian university professors to Israel, doing private programs, they had a journal, they had a, a vast infrastructure across the, the, uh, the United States and Canada of faculty who were pro-Israel and very supportive, who fought anti-Semitic activities on campuses. And after Oslo, in the throes of uh, the uh, hope for peace, the Jewish community and the Israeli government killed Apni. They said, we don't need you anymore, and it died. And then we had 2002 with San Francisco State and Columbia and all the other explosions that have led, as you saw from um, some of the uh, charts today, from the chart today uh, that Dina put up, you saw the explosion of anti-Semitic activities that have been taking place recently. These we've been seeing going on little bit by little bit since 2002. SPME, as, I, as Ed said, is a, a network of almost 60,000 scholars all over the world on 3,500 campuses. That is not inconsequential. It is a force. The unfortunate thing is that this force is kind of amorphous and undeveloped. 
Uh, our major work of the last uh, eight years has been, and our success has been in the area of petition drives and letters. And our effectiveness has been quite good in this area. But it is we, uh, the, the board of SPME and the organization itself have understood that it is insufficient to just do petitions anymore. The petitions, while they are good to help stopping boycotts and to fighting divestment, it's not what we need. And so when uh, in the last two years, last 18 months, we have been struggling to figure out a new way, a new approach. And that's what I'm going to talk to you about now. Our new approach is to create an infrastructure on college campuses all over the world. We already have the beginnings of that infrastructure with 60,000 network participants on 3,500 campuses. We have 40 chapters. Our goal is to create a chapter on every college campus that we can possibly get in the United States and Canada and Europe and Latin America and Asia. Right now we have chapters in Europe, in Austria and Germany, in France and Great Britain. We have a chapter in Australia. We have new chapters hopefully starting soon in Peru and in Brazil. And we have a, a many chapters in the United States and Canada. It's our goal to expand this network and make it a fully developed network of committed academics who are not people in just in Israel studies or Middle East studies or Jewish studies but who are in academic fields from A to Z. Toward that end, we are investing uh, our resources, our time, and our energy in helping to get uh, faculty aware of the importance of this effort. And this takes two things. One, it takes people who are committed, but it also takes people who are knowledgeable, who are knowledgeable about the issues. And when we talk to faculty and our chapter chairs and others, they say, well, I'm a faculty member in agriculture. What do I know about the Middle East? What do I know about the Arab-Israeli conflict? I, I can't respond to the committed Palestinian faculty member or leftist faculty member or uh, a supporter of a boycott divestment who is, has pulled off all this information and speaks so eloquently. How can I respond to this? And so part of our goal is to create a way in which we can train our faculty colleagues all over the world and how to respond more effectively to these egregious anti-Israel and anti-Semitic activities that are taking place. So uh, our twin goals of educating and engaging faculty are the key to this, in, in creating this network of infrastructure across the globe. Uh, uh, Leila Beckwith and Tammy Benjamin, two of our board members, did a very interesting study of our Jewish students uh, safe on California campuses. It was a pioneering study, a pilot study that they published in the American Thinker. You can see reference to it on our website. Uh, it was an important and insightful analysis of the anti-Semitic activities that college students in California are confronting at UC Santa Cruz and UC Irvine and UC Berkeley and San Francisco State and UC and CSU Fullerton and uh, you know the as a professor uh, emeritus of the Cal State system who was on the academic senate it was an appalling study for me to watch because it shows the breadth and depth of anti-Semitism that is affecting us in one of the most populous states. So. Our plan. Our plan is to create uh, this structure of campus networks all over the world. 
to get chapters on every campus. You who are here can help us do that, and we hope that you will join us in this endeavor. All we need is to get three faculty members on a campus to get themselves together and participate with us, and you too can become a chapter on a campus. This is an important step because it's making a commitment to fight against what's going on on college campuses. But it's not enough just to have three participating members. We, had 80, we have 80 faculty network participants at UC Berkeley. But when it came time for uh, fighting back against the boycott, divestment, and sanctions effort that took place this past spring at UC Berkeley, nobody was willing to stand up. It took Hanan Alexander, a visiting professor from Haifa University, and finally Malcolm Feely, who was in the law school, who was an SPME member, to finally stand up with, with uh, Professor Efron from uh, Jewish Studies. And it was those three faculty members who were the ones who fought against Judith Butler and Danny Boyarin and the others who were, the other Jewish faculty who were supporting the boycott and divestment issues. This is not right. It, we need to get faculty to stand up. The, what we learn, another lesson that we learned from the Shoah is that silence means affirmation, and if the Jewish community remains silent, how can we expect others who are not Jewish to speak out? So part of our goal is to get faculty to understand and to be knowledgeable, to get them to be knowledgeable. We have just received a very nice grant. We are creating a part of our website that will be a curriculum part. It will have two kinds of curriculum. It will have curricula that is developed by faculty members in fields outside of Jewish studies, Israel studies and Middle East studies, who put a unit about Israel in their course, a positive unit about Israel. So if you're in a business faculty member and you do something about uh, uh, the uh, initiatives, the startup nation kinds of initiatives, that you can put up on the website. If you're in chemistry and do innovations in uh, Israeli innovations in chemistry, that will go on the website. If you're a sociologist and you do something about Israel and sociological perspectives or social welfare perspectives, those can go on the website. So that's one form of curriculum to try to get Israel more mainstreamed into the curricula across the board outside of Jewish studies, Israel studies, Middle East studies. Because part of our problem is the faculty member in sociology who takes stuff off the web because he or she has a political perspective that's anti-Israel, and all of a sudden they're doing a two-week unit on Israel that's antagonistic. We need to have a, a, an alternative to that. The second part of, the, of our approach is to bring forward a curriculum of advocacy and to provide faculty with as many resources as we can give them so that when they have a Norman Finkelstein or an Omar Barghouti come to campus, they can better be prepared to deal with that issue of those speakers on campus in an effective way. But more than that, that they can become more aggressive themselves on campus and begin to doing Israeli programming, uh, to do programming about anti-Semitism, to do programming that's very positive about uh, the, the Jewish world, but to do outreach to their colleagues across the board to provide them with the resources that they can go to, the one-stop shop for them to be able to go and get materials for them to develop um, um, responses or positive programming. We have also organized uh, a legal task force in the last 18 months. The legal task force is run by Ken Marcus, um, um, who you heard, uh, yes, some of you heard yesterday, uh, this legal task force has done amazing things and is coming out with a report 
soon, hopefully it'll be re released by December, on the issues of academic freedom and freedom of speech. And our argument basically is that those who say that academic freedom and freedom of speech are um, um, completely open, uh, a, a kind of libertarian view that there's no restriction, are incorrect. That freedom of speech and academic freedom come are rights, but they come with responsibilities. And so part of what we're doing is developing this idea about what are the res responsibilities I'm working. Our goal is to work with college presidents and legal counsels to, in, to enable them to understand that there are ways and places that they can go to not restrict academic freedom, but to understand that there are two parts to academic freedom. It's right and it's responsibility. The other aspect of the legal task force has been to work on issues such as the uh, issue with regard to Great Britain and Belgium and, and uh, Spain in uh, extrajudicial uh, courts that uh, caused the situation in Great Britain where Zippy Livni was uh, not able to uh, travel to Great Britain because she was going to be under indictment in a British court. And so we've been very much involved in fighting against that, those kinds of things. In responding to the uh, Gaza flotilla, our SPME members were involved in writing uh, legal briefs on maritime law showing that Israel had every right to do what they were doing via uh, maritime law. And these are some of the kinds of things that the legal task force. Ed also just spoke in a, a few minutes ago about our medical task force that's responding to egregious attacks in Lancet and other British medical journals against uh, is Israel um, and true, what are truly uh, anti-Semitic attacks uh, in a, an established a series of British uh, medical journals. And uh, we have just created a, a boycott, divestment, and sanctions task force uh, led by uh, Ed Beck and uh, uh, we have two Nobel laureates on the uh, task force and um, Alan Dershowitz and a number of other, uh, and Judea Pearl, another other stellar uh, scholars who are involved in our BDS uh, task force. We have been in the forefront from the beginning of the boycott divestment movement. SPME has been in the forefront of stopping boycotts and divestment in every place they've been tried on a college campus or with a college institution. We've been very successful in doing this. It is like preventative medicine. It's not very sexy, but it has to be done. And the moment we stop doing it, that's the moment things start falling apart. So these are some of the things that we've been involved in. But our long-term goal is, this cre is to move our 60,000-odd network, participant network, from, uh, joint, from doing simply being bystanders and watching what's going on and taking our materials to becoming the force it can become on college campuses to fight back against anti-Semitism and anti-Israeli activities that are going on on campuses all over the world. So I'm going to stop here and uh, turn things over to my colleague, uh, Linda, from uh, um, the Biesenthal in LA. Uh, one, two, three, four. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm going to kind of be brief, and I'm sure my Would you introduce yourself? My name is Doron Benatar, and I'm from Fordham University, and I lost my tag. Uh, <laughs> so um, I just, I'm going to be brief. Uh, he, uh, I'm aware of S SPME, uh, and I think whatever all presenters were wonderful and, and really slightly depressing. Uh, and which is really. Check me up, one thing. I'm going to lay it out as, as straight as I possibly can. Uh, I, as a historian and a member of the uh, in the humanities, uh, the the challenge that you are presenting is that 
Um, I personally am, am not, I'm personally a, a liberal and, and uh, uh, on the left of the political uh, spectrum. And um, the, uh, when I, you know, when I start signed for the SPME uh, newsletter and stuff like that, the, uh, when I start talking to colleagues, they immediately pigeonhole it as a right wing Reactionary. Let, let me just finish it because you know it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't show that I'm a very courageous person. So you should know that I am not the person you want to uh, have with you at the fog in the foxhole. Um, and and so it, it's kind of you know. And then I went to um, you know it, it, my play did very well. I mean, it's the one that's tonight, and you know, kind of. So I was invited to Carlisle College. You know, they were reading my play and doing all this big thing. And I was, of course, uh, um, I'm as guilty of hubris. And then I talked to the director of Hillel there, and I mentioned somebody, and he said, oh, he belongs to SBME, he's right-wing nuts. Um, and so um, I kind of uh, thought to myself, well, should I really join SBME? I mean, I'm, I gave money, but you know, that's, uh, that's nothing. Um, the, uh, and, and the notion of being associated with it will undermine the credibility of somebody who is obviously a liberal in a very liberal department. We don't have any, there are no Republicans. Historians. I mean, I, you know, it, you know, it's, it's just—it's not—it's not a phenomenon that exists. Um, so um, I just wonder. Let, let, let me address that issue because it is a vexing issue for us. Um, I'm—I'm I'm the co-founder and was the president in 2002 to 2009. Uh, my background is head of NYU students for Eugene McCarthy. Okay, Dump Johnson. Okay, I have as strong a liberal background as anybody in this room, if not more so. Okay, civil, civil rights movement. Um, I went through my Zen Buddhist nudist phase where I, you know, questioned authority and challenged. Too much information. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 I don't like to know more about that. Hold on, hold on. I, I in, in many regards, I am as liberal, and many of us are as liberal as liberal can be, okay? And, and, but we are a big tent organization. I want to make this very, very clear. What has happened frequently is sometimes we go back and forth, and we have, we have people, uh, we had Moshe Maoz, who is this, uh, on our founding board. Please, I wasn't clear my question. I'm not pigeonholing SPME. I'm not saying SPME is conservative. I, I'm I saying the any, SPME, any, how do we overcome the problem that any, the SPME and other, and all of the SPME. Any group, any group that will address the issues of anti-Israelism and anti-Semitism on campus will be categorized as a right-wing group. No, I, I think. Go ahead. I, I help us out here. We can all defend our. I call myself a self-hating liberal. I'm, I'm exactly with you. My background is all left. But defending ourselves as liberals doesn't do any good. When Sam put his presentation, and I'm, I send money to you guys. I'm excited about what you're doing. I'm one of you. But you got to be careful about your language. Like when you said, "Who?" Forget the context. You said the left. Yeah. You you. When, when these, we've got to change our language. Absolutely. We know it's the left. We know it's the far left. But you can't go in front of a group of academics who are all Democrats and say, the left. Because we all of a sudden say, oh, you mean you're the right? So I don't have an answer. But I noticed that too. That, that language is very inflammatory. I've got to not use it. 
Well, you but do it, use it. it. No, yeah, I, didn't, I, I did not. I did use it. Yeah. Well, it was it. It was unfortunate. So we have to like self-criticize. Let me let me just let me just say this about this issue, uh, because I I go to campuses all over the world back and forth. Oh, you're you're so leftist. So it's we're we're a centrist organization. It doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. The common ground is a commitment to those to, to, to those issues. And let me, having said that, we would like the involvement of more people who who who, who characterize themselves as you do not. And, and we appreciate very much the contributions, but to speak up, to write columns, to, to state these positions, we welcome that. We publish what we get. Okay, we publish what we get. I'd love a piece from you guys. I'd love a piece from you guys to show the, the other side. And the demonizing of the left by the right and the right by the left, I, I've had that up to here. I just want to say, Doron, it's, I, don't, I don't think it's an issue. I think it's the issue. I think it's the issue. The issue here is the ascendancy of identity politics. Right to the point where every student who has any interpersonal capacity at all understands within 30 seconds of arriving on campus what his politics have to be Correct. for him to be, to him to survive um, and mate and have a good time and survive intellectually. Even and at they know Fordham, it, even at the Jesuit institutions. This is, this, and this is, this is the most perfidious part of the strategy that it is not a question of ideology, it is a question of identity. Right. This is an acceptable identity versus a non-acceptable identity. The ideas, the policies, the actual facts are irrelevant right. to this. And if we don't address the identity issue, I think we're lost. Awesome. I mean, it's, 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 and let me ask you something. Why are we, and I'm not going to say you, I say we, why are we so terrified have our colleagues label us as right wingers, but we are. It's only a right wing nuts. Right. That's, that, that's a term that. that pardon? Right. Lo right wing loonies. You immediately associated with the fact right. that you it's are. It's the modern Sarat. It's, it's, it's the modern Sarat. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I, it, it, it's, I'm telling you, I, I'm personally. That's the decision that, uh, you know, I was thinking of, you know, being more involved with SPME because I think that, you know, because I, I had something to contribute that could be very effective. Um, and, and, and so, but I, I was just kind of saying, if I'm going to do that, if I'm going to put this SPME label on me, like a chapter, I will immediately be marginalized in university. Um, even though I have the most left-wing liberals you can find, I teach classes on history of sexuality. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm writing a book about bestiality. I mean, it doesn't get any more liberal than that, right? But because I think anti-Semitism is a terrible, um, cancerous thing, I'm labeled as a, as a right-wing nut. But are you pro or con on these jails? <laughs> <laughs> no, this, this is an important... I, we don't take sides. No, this is an important and ongoing discussion that we have all the time, uh, all the time on our board and, and in, in our meetings. Um, and, and this kind of tension is, is actually very creative, but I, inv I invite Anybody who, uh, uh, who who is committed to, to the mission of you know academic integrity, honest debate, and uh, academic freedom in terms of dealing with these issues uh, in, in a civil and uh, Richard Landis just left, but who's on our board uh, in, 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 with civil uh, discourse, 
but uh, with passion, um, is, 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 is welcome. And um, my, my concern has been that uh, people who want the organization to be something other than what it's evolving at, you know, tend to walk away from it. And we get characterized. I mean, I, from the very beginning, uh, we've lost huge donations because we're way too liberal. We've had, we've, you know, we've had people throw money at us uh, if we just became so much more conservative and we turned some of that down. Uh, we, we've made decisions based on right and left in an effort to keep it in the middle and to find common ground. So, so, so this, uh, this is for the record, uh, and 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 uh, we're we're trying to do this. The issue of identity is something I think we really need. Really we really need to be talking about and, and help. Yes, uh, who's number two? Number number two, number three. Okay, I, I want to say something to everybody. I was uh, noticing with your the handbooks um, and the title of this entire conference, anti-Semitism. Because I'm a street activist, I'm a pro-Israel street activist in Berkeley and San Francisco, and I have had to explain innumerable times the, why we call it anti-Semitism. Yes, Arabs are Semites too, but it's still, it's Jew hatred. And therefore, I've come to the conclusion that we must insist, like with these university handbooks and these policy statements, um, that we have to call it Jew hatred because anti-Semitism is not clear enough, because it takes too much explanation. Uh, you know, the way they hit the diaspora and the Jews in Europe and how they were the only Semites in the whole history. So that's my suggestion, that we, we have to call it Jew hatred. Do you Reaction. have a response? Yeah, uh, um, in, in many ways I think you're, you've, you've hit the nail on the head, that uh, if things get lost, and first of all, Anti-Semitism is the word of the haters. It's it was the creation of uh, Wilhelm Marr and and, yes. and those who created the the concept in the 19th century of the anti-Semitism uh, of of anti-Jewish hate, uh, political anti-Jewish hate. But let me let me also take it in a slightly different direction. Uh, SPME has joined with 13 other Jewish organizations uh, to work with the. Uh, Office of uh, Civil Rights and the Department of Education to develop, to change Title VI so that it recognizes uh, ADL's been involved, Wiesenthal's been involved, uh, AJC, uh, ZOA, etc., uh, a huge number of groups. We've, we've been involved in trying to attempt to change Title VI to recognize Jewish ethnicity as one of those groups that are under threat. Right now, religion is not there, and Jewish students are suffering because of this. So that's one, one initiative. The second initiative I mentioned in my presentation was our legal task force is pre preparing a document on <coughs> academic freedom and freedom of speech. FIRE, which is the organization that's been promoting a, a libertarian perspective on freedom of speech on college campuses, has put press, college presidents and legal counsels in a position where they are afraid to make any statement abridging, so-called abridgment of freedom of speech, so that hate speech, in their opinion, is protected, which it is not. And so what we're preparing, our, the document that we're preparing, it's almost done, it's, I'm, I've been reading drafts of it, I think it's a phenomenal document, uh, is, a, an, a, is a response to fire and a response to academic presidents following the meetings that 
Wiesenthal and others had in California, we've learned some big lessons about what they need. So part of the goal here is not just response, but aggressively creating positive legislational legislation and public policy that begins to protect Jewish students legally and also begins to get academics to understand that it is not just a right. It is a response, there are responsibilities that go with academic freedom and freedom of speech. So these are initiatives that we're all working together as a consorted group of, of uh, both academics and legal scholars and Jewish organizations to try to get some substantive change in place so that we can then use the, the system more effectively. So what should it be called? It well, uh, some of us argue for Ju Judeophobia, some, some argue for anti-Jewish uh, uh, rhetoric, whatever, but anti-Semitism is a problem. Who was number three? Samuel Felber from the University of Sao Paulo. Uh, first addressing uh, your question, uh, I don't know if it's fortunate or unfortunate, we don't have that problem in Brazil. Anti-Semitism in Brazil is Jew hatred. Nobody thinks right. about Arabs mm -hmm. uh, when uh, this term is used. Right. So People use the term Jew hatred. No, no, in Brazil, anti-Semitism is Jew hatred. Nobody thinks about Arabs when they right. address uh, the question of anti-Semitism. No, not at all. They don't get it. It's a synonymous to Jewish. So, in that sense, uh, maybe this is a, a typical question in the U.S. or in Europe, where this problem is more developed. In, in, in Brazil, I would say in Latin America, generally, that uh, that wouldn't be a problem. Now, uh, I have a question for Linda. I uh, I came here expecting, uh, maybe wishful, uh, with a lot of wishful thinking, expecting a formula to deal with all, all these images that uh, you have shown, because that's what we see uh, in Brazil as well. When there is a war in Lebanon, when there is a, a cast led in Gaza, when there is a flotilla incident, that's what you see also in Brazil. Uh, Jews are Nazis, uh, uh, Holocaust in Gaza, and all those uh, things. I uh, I am not sure uh, that addressing the university uh, as an institution uh, is the solution because you would have a lot of uh, informal uh, action that cannot be addressed unless you bring uh, police to to stop it because it's illegal. So uh, I would appreciate if. There could be in the future some uh, thought or maybe a discussion about what uh, could be done on this academic and student level uh, without involving the authorities, without involving the university itself, because I don't think uh, that could be that effective. There, there would be guerrilla warfare by the students against yeah. it. So they will come out and uh, do whatever they think uh, they have to do in order to express their their opinion. This is uh, th th this is one point, and uh, I have another question. Is we have had discussions uh, in several departments at the university regarding the value of uh, uh, discussing the subject. So should we discuss the Arab-Israeli conflict, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, or this would be? Uh, 
uh, an opportunity for the other side to advertise about it. So how, how does SM, SPME or how do the physical center uh, seize the question? Uh, is, that, uh, is that the problem? Should, shouldn't you discuss it in order not to open uh, the uh, floodgates? Yeah, do, you know, not to give the opportunity to other side to advertise. Or should you engage in a very high-level discussion about it? Okay, well, I get into the first, the first question you had. Um, I didn't have time to go too much into the role of the, the Museum of Tolerance, but one of the sort of newer initiatives that um, we're, we're really pushing for is to get um, student groups, um, the, the people who do faculty development, so the training, uh, staff development on campus, so not just the administrators, but people who are hands-on uh, working with students and student groups themselves to do uh, major events with us and conferences. Um, it's hard to depict in a very quick PowerPoint the, the power of the Museum of Tolerance to do a lot of these kinds of things, but we uh, I, I, I'm sorry, but I am uh, very worried about our problem, and we still don't have yeah, no, she, a tool like that. What to do in so, Brazil. Yes. I'm, think, so, I'm thinking about uh, what could we do in order Brazil. to counter the problem. Well, possibly, I mean, if you have any kind of similar organizations that are um, can be seen as third party, one of the things that it, that is unique to the Museum of Tolerance is that it's so far has maintained a reputation of being apart from Jewish or non-Jewish organizations. And as somewhat of a, of a sort of a mutual or neutral territory, has the ability to bring in people to do the kind of learning that we're all desperate for people to have, right? We all want people to name anti-Semitism, we want them to know about it more. We, sometimes we may have to start with who is a Jew with some people, but um, certainly I think even in, in Holocaust museums, for example, are, you, are there Holocaust education facilities? No, okay. But I would say one of the biggest things I know, um, I would love to see for all Holocaust education institutions, which there are all, there are all over the world, is to do a better job about teaching about anti-Semitism. One of the unintended outcomes that happens with the Holocaust Museum is people tend to go and have this transformative experience and, and, and learn so much about the Holocaust and leave sometimes with an impression that anti-Semitism ended with the Holocaust. And